On Sunday evenings, we've been studying the book of Philippians. And yes, I know I'm staying on this passage, so don't think I've forgotten to change to the next one. But uh, I want to talk to you a little bit before we actually begin our lesson about Paul and his letter to the Philippians. As you will notice here, he talks about, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. There's a lot of things in this life that can deprive us of happiness. I want you to think yourself as you have gone to a restaurant. Maybe it's a very nice restaurant. Maybe it's one that you planned on going to for some time. As you arrive, all of a sudden someone is very rude to you. And you go in and you can't enjoy the meal that you've just ordered. You've allowed that person to rob you of your happiness and your enjoyment of that event in your life. How many of us have allowed ourselves somewhere along in life to have our joy stolen from us because we've allowed something or someone to prevent us from enjoying that happiness? Paul is in a Roman prison. And he's happy. Paul is suffering for his faith and yet he still has joy in the Lord. The church at Philippi was a great congregation. These were great Christian folks. But there were some things that could steal their happiness. Beware of dogs. Philippians chapter 4 verse 2. As I begin, I want you to think about the viciousness of dogs because what's your view of dogs? And I know that some of you may have different views. Some of you may have a cute little puppy at home and say, oh, they're just so adorable. Others of you may be fearful of them because you've had a fear all of your life. Perhaps you were bitten as a child and you look at dogs as dangerous. In the Bible, they were not pets, though. They were dangerous and they were disgusting. As we will observe some of the things that dogs do. In fact, if you listen to Psalms 59, verses 5 and 6, You, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any of the transgressors. At evening they return they growl like a dog and go all around the city. You see, the dogs that are described here are the kind of feral dogs that are dangerous. They may attack you as a person. They may attack your family. They're just operating out of animalistic instincts. In Psalms 22, verse 20 Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. You see, dogs can tear the flesh. Or if you go to Isaiah 56, verses 10 and 11, His watchmen are blind, they are ignorant, they are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. You think about... My dog, he sleeps, he lies down, he's actually worthless. I'm telling the truth. 
And dogs, as they age, and sometimes they become nothing more than dependents. But verse 11 says, yes, they're greedy dogs which never have enough. You see, they they're, uh, have an insatiable appetite. But the one that makes them disgusting, Proverbs 26 and verse 11, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. We've all seen dogs get sick and then go lap up what they had just thrown up. And yes, it's disgusting to the point that Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says, but it happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having been washed to her wallowing in the mire. You see in the Bible, the picture that you get of the dogs is not a pleasant one. In fact, they're dangerous and they are harmful. You see, the animals have no sense of value. They don't understand the difference between something that is precious and valuable and something that is worthless. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and tear you in pieces. He said, you don't take the precious things, the valuable things, and then you give them to animals. They see no value in them. I want you to keep all this in mind as we get to verse 2 in just a moment. The Jews frequently referred to the Gentiles as dogs. And in doing that, they were not trying to compliment them either. They were saying, you're sorry, you're worthless, you're dangerous. But Paul then in Philippians chapter 4 or 3 verse 2 is going to say, but you Judaizing teachers, in reality, you are the dogs. They did not appreciate the value of the gospel. They were barking their false doctrines to get attention. And so Paul is going to draw attention to say, here are some things of value. Don't cast the pearls before swine. Don't give the holy to the dogs. These are things of value that the dogs don't appreciate. And there's three things he's going to mention in this passage. He's going to talk about the value of continual, continuous teaching. Being reminded over and over of the same things. Number two, the value of real circumcision. You see, there's a circumcision of those Judaizing teachers, but there's another greater, more perfect one in God's sight. And then finally, the real value of Christ. You see, as they looked at Christ, they did not appreciate Him for who He was and what He was. And Paul is going to say, there's nothing greater, there's nothing more valuable to us than the Lord. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 again. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now I'll tell you, it's rare to find a person using the word finally only halfway through a letter. But in reality, the reason why he chooses to use the word finally is because of the message. The final message in the book of Philippians is rejoicing. And it covers all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. And that's the reason why he says finally. It's a repetitive message in the book of Philippians. 
You can see it over and over again. But you see, in Paul's idea, the reminder, the continuous teachings are things that are valuable. On our Monday morning Bible class, we're studying from the book of Second Peter. And we've covered chapters 1, 2, and about the middle of chapter 2 recently. And if you'll listen to Peter, he says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that I must shortly put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter is saying, I know I'm going to die soon, but he says, I want to remind you of things that you know. Notice he said, you're already established in the present truth. Why would a preacher get up and preach on the same topic, the same message, week after week, month after month, year after year? It's because God expects us to remind one another of what is found in his words. In 2 Peter 3 verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you in this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And you see, Paul is saying, these things that I'm writing to you, he says they're not tedious it's not just going over the same things for the purpose of going over the same things, but it's safe. It has value. God built into his system reminders. Do you remember the Day of Atonement under the Old Testament system? Yes, we can say that was the day each year when the children of Israel were made right with God again. But do you know what that day was really for? It was for them to remember their sins. And the reason why they remembered them was because they had not yet been completely forgiven. We use the idea of being rolled forward, but in reality it was a reminder. You still have these sins laid to your charge. What you are doing is you're offering a sacrifice to God to allay his demand of payment. It was only through the giving of the blood of Christ that those sins were actually forgiven. In the New Testament, each and every Lord's Day, we partake of the Lord's Supper as a reminder. And I know I've got friends who are in other religious bodies, and they'll say, you folks do that every Sunday. And you know what? That would get old, and that would get to be tried, and you wouldn't think about it. But you know what it does every Sunday morning? When that communion is passed and I partake of that bread and I partake of the fruit of the vine, it reinforces, it brings to my mind what Jesus did on the cross. Continuous teaching is safe because people have a tendency to forget. Judges chapter 3 verse 7, So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord God. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Frequently, you can go through the history of the children of Israel. And you know what happened? They would go along and then pretty soon there would be a nation that no longer remembered that God was their God. And that they served Him. And that's the reason why every service we keep going over the same things because we've got to keep it 
enforced in our minds. Jeremiah 23, 27, who make, try to make my people forget the name by their dreams, which they tell everyone to his neighbor. As their fathers forgot my name for Baal, there's people who want you to forget. Satan wants you to forget. In 2 Timothy 2, 14 and 15, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of hearers, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we're reminded of them. But the second thing that Paul talks about is the value of circumcision, real circumcision. Let's read verses 2 through 6. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm also circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is from the law, blameless. Now Paul starts this out, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. See, calling somebody a dog was an insult. And if you go to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17, verse 43, so the Philistine, the Philistine, by the way, is Goliath, said to David, am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? You see, if there was a dog that was uh, in the area, what you do, you get a stick to knock him off. And uh, I see walkers occasionally walking with a long stick. and The purpose of it is to drive away animals that might try to attack them. Goliath said, are you coming out to me with sticks? Or in 2 Kings 8, verse 13, Haziel said, But what is your servant, a dog, that I should do such a gross thing? How are you looking at me? Is, is some dog that goes and eats up his own vomit again? Is that the way you look at me, as a scavenger? Paul is sarcastically warning them that some of them could rob them of their spiritual joy. These are dogs. These are evil workers. Evil workers are the ones like Paul described in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. These are people who are trying to persuade you that they have a better way for you to follow. Paul said you have to beware of them. Then third, he says, beware of the mutilation. If you got the King James or American Standard, says, beware of the concision. And in reality, there's a play on words here in the original language. The word to circumcise and the word to mutilate are very close to the same. And so when you have them together and you have a play on words here, uh, he's trying to drive home a point. You see, in their eyes, they looked at this as a mutilation of the flesh. And in the Bible, to cut yourself 
is, was sinful. For instance, in Leviticus 21, verse 5, they shall not make any ball place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. He's talking about what a person might do for a dead person. He said, you don't do that. You don't do these for idols. You don't do it for others. You see, they had made circumcision nothing more than a ritual cutting. For God, it was a sign of a covenant. But for them, it was, okay, well, we do, this is a ritual that we follow through, something that we're going to do. But Paul said, we are the circumcision. Real circumcision had value. The best passage I can direct you to is found in Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 25, where Paul would say, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And going on into chapter two, he said, or three, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the prophet in circumcision much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Paul's saying, you look, you, you folks who placed confidence in circumcision, it's not the physical act, it's the spiritual heart that is so important. And Paul wrote the Corinthians, he'd say, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, I indeed, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You see, what Paul does here is he contrasts those people who have confidence in the flesh versus those who have confidence in the spirit. So here I am, and I'm, I've got to beware lest someone rob me steal my joy because what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep me under that Old Testament law, all those rules and regulations with no heart, with no spirit, with no desire to serve God. And Paul said, don't let them do that to you. Beware of those dogs. Beware of those evil workers. Beware of those mutilators. If Paul wanted to, he could have confidence in the flesh. But he chose not to. He did not have confidence in the flesh. Now, let's go to the third part, which in my judgment is where Paul drives home the point he's trying to make in verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things Lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, 
that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul weighed everything and made a decision. He looked at everything that he had accomplished in life. Everything that he had by virtue of his pedigree. You know, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've done all these things. Here's where I am and what decision does he make? He says, what things were gained to me, I've counted them lost. He says, in fact, I count them as rubbish. The word rubbish is not really strong enough. I count them as dung. I count them as sewage. He said, I look at everything that is, that is of greatness in this life, accomplishments in this life, and he says, they are worthless. In fact, they need to be flushed down. He said, because there's nothing greater than serving Christ. The excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, for me, that's where it's all at and that's what it's all about. That I may gain Christ. There's so many ways you could illustrate it. I think about the parable of our Lord, the pearl of great price. Man went in search of goodly pearls and and he finds this one of great price. What's he going to do? He's going to sell everything else he had and he's going to buy that one. You see, there's nothing more important than being a Christian. Well, if I gain Christ, what do I gain with it? Because, you know, Paul's going to try to, I won't say speculate, he's going to inform us. He says that I may know him, knowing Jesus, who he is, what he did, how he lived, how he wants me to live. The power of his resurrection. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead will raise up our dead bodies. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If we die with him, we're going to be raised with him. Paul says that's an honor, that's a privilege. Anything worth having is worth sacrifice. Oh yeah, you have to put something into it to get something out of it. Listen to the parable of our Lord in Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man, or like hidden treasure in a field, which a man found and hid. And For joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he has found the one pearl of great price, went and sold it and all that he had and bought it. You see, it's worth everything. The church in Philippi needed to realize where real joy was to be found. And I've got to believe today you and I need a reminder of that. I've got to believe that you and I need to step back and understand where real joy can be found it won't be found in our being the most talented musician. 
It won't be found in our being the most intelligent person in the room. It won't be found in the fact that we have acquired the greatest amount of wealth. What will count on Judgment Day is whether or not we are a New Testament Christian, a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. One can only find real joy when he learns to value the right things. And there's no greater treasure than to be a Christian. I've been trying to drive home the point on our Sunday morning lessons from the book of Acts and even on our Sunday evening lessons from the book of Philippians. The grand importance of being a Christian. You can make a choice tonight. We'll sing the song of encouragement. The purpose of it is to encourage you that when the song is sung, you can come to the forward, to the front, and say, I want to become a Christian. You can confess your faith in Christ and we'll baptize you for the remission of your sins. What a great joy that would be tonight. A joy that you can go home with, a joy the rest of us can take with us as well. But you know, God's people sometimes need a reminder in their lives to not let the devil win. Oh, the devil would love to try to destroy us as a people, to try to destroy our faith and our confidence. But you know, if I make a mistake or you make a mistake, we need to be willing to own it, to repent of it, and let's pray about it. If you need to come tonight, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?